So today, I am going to talk to you from Matthew chapter 11, specifically verse 1 to 19. And it's going to be about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was famed. He's known to be the forerunner of Jesus. He went before Jesus and he prepared the way. That was what John the Baptist is famous for, all right? But before I start, I want to share with you a true story, a story of a boy. This boy was born in 1878, and he was a devoted Christian who attended church regularly and memorized scriptures at night. From the age of 11 until 23, he worked in a coal mine with his father. And after that, at the age of 24 onwards, he was a blacksmith apprentice. This young man was widely known to spend many hours praying each week, both personally and at a corporate group prayer meeting. Many said he had an unusual zeal and a warmth of character. One day, in 1904, the Holy Spirit fell upon him in, church, in, a, in his church while he was praying. That one simple prayer, filled by the Holy Spirit, sparked something in him. And that prayer was only two words. The words were, ban me, ban me, ban me. He was saying, ban me to your will, ban me to your will. After that encounter with God, he started speaking in a series of small meetings. And not long after, he was already attracting a congregation numbering in the thousands, thousands, Within two weeks of that, huh, the Welsh revival was national news. Two weeks. This is, the, this is the Welsh revival. And before long, this man by the name of Evan Roberts, this is his picture. He was a boy back then, but this is when he was a man. He's a man already. Uh, he's gone already, but this is when he was a man. So the, the man of the name of Evan Roberts and his brother and his best friend were traveling around the country conducting revival meetings. And in these revival meetings, he only had one sermon. And in this one sermon, this sermon had four points. The first point, confess your sin and receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The second is remove anything in your life that you are in doubt or feel unsure about. Number three, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. And number four, publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. One sermon, four points, went around the nation and caused the Welsh revival. And this Welsh revival was one of the biggest revivals ever recorded. Just to share with you, within a few months, in October 1904, 1904 is when it happened, within a few months in, in October, over 100,000 souls were saved. 100,000 souls were saved within a few months. You know what happened over there? Bars closed down. This, this is Wales, right? This is, they are all drinking every time, free drink. Bars closed down. Everybody flocked to church. Imagine that. And not just that. All the salvations were chronicled. In where? In the newspaper. The newspaper published how many people were saved today. Next day, how many people were saved? Imagine that. Imagine a nation where the bars closed down, sports bars closed down, they've got nation, stadiums, everything, all flocking to church, and every day you see news of revival, 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 people getting saved, people getting saved. How many getting saved? Imagine that. Why am I sharing this story with you? Because this young man, Evan Roberts, he lived a life of a forerunner. What is a forerunner? This is why we're here. This is, why, this is what I'm going to be talking about from Matthew 11. Is John the Baptist's life. He lived a life of a foreigner. He started off praying and seeking and earnestly seeking God, just communing with God. And then God came. God gave him the message and he went out and he preached the word. And that caused the Welsh revival. All right, so today we're going to look into the word. We're going to read 19 verses. Is that okay? Good, right? Okay, right? Not the longest, right? No, right? Yeah, okay. All right. Let's read from Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 to 19. Let's start at a count of three. One, two, three. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, 
Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven, until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, Look! a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. Amen. God bless His Word. So now, we're going to focus on one particular verse for now, which is this. Matthew 11, 11. Assuredly, Jesus is saying this, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. This was Jesus' own words. He was saying, until now, there has not been one greater. Basically, Jesus was saying, he, John the Baptist was the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. Can you imagine that? Jesus is giving this title, the greatest of all time, to John the Baptist. And you know what? You, you have to compare against the prophets of the old, the the Bible characters of the old, you, you have to think about it. Why did Jesus give the greatest of all time to John the Baptist when there were other people like Moses, you know, the deliverer of the Israelites from Egypt. There was Abraham, the father of many nations. There was people like Elijah, called fire from the sky, boom, come down, right? Kill the prophets of Baal. And not just that, how did he exit it? in a chariot of fire. Can you imagine that? You have people like Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. God was so pleased with him. God loved his company so much that he just took Enoch away. Imagine that. So many Bible characters, so many great and prominent Bible characters, but Jesus singled out one person as the greatest of all, John the Baptist. That's weird, right? Because John the Baptist's life most of his life, he spent in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness most of his life. He, he was about 20 years in the wilderness and then two years or less than two years of public ministry. Came out two years and his ministry was also in the wilderness. People had to go out into the wilderness to see John the Baptist. He was not in the city centre, got MRT come, convenient, straight away over here. No, people had to walk out to see him. And not just that, how did he die? You see all the, all the big names in the Bible, they had glorious deaths, crucified, everything. John the Baptist died because someone was jealous of him. That was it. He died because of that. So simple. It was quite insignificant. Can you believe that? And Jesus still gave him greatest of all time. And not just that. John the Baptist did no signs or wonders. No miracles. 
It was only about preaching the Word of God. So why did Jesus give John the Baptist the greatest of all time title? For this, we need to see. You know, John the Baptist's ministry is the forerunner ministry, right? So we, because of this, we need to look into the life of John the Baptist and the ministry of John the Baptist. So today, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look into the life the lifestyle of John the Baptist and the ministry of John the Baptist. I'm going to focus on one specific thing in the lifestyle, right? So we're going to go with the lifestyle right now. And the lifestyle, let's see from Matthew 11, 7 to 8. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. It's about John. Huh? It's talking about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So I want you to focus on this. Out into the wilderness. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? A man clothed in soft garments. We all know that John's life has always been about the wilderness. He lived in the wilderness. He ministered in the wilderness. You know what? He was in the wilderness when God gave him the message. And then he started his ministry in the wilderness some more. He didn't, even, he didn't go out into the cities. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He went around Jordan, which was still the wilderness. You know, he lived a wilderness lifestyle. A wilderness lifestyle. What is a wilderness lifestyle? We will get into that, all right? So the first one is out into the wilderness. So John the Baptist lived a wilderness lifestyle, number one. And when you have a wilderness lifestyle, which is basically a time and a communion with God all the time, then a reed shaken by the wind. Will you be a reed shaken by the wind? No. When you live a lifestyle of communion with God, always constantly interacting with God, your soul, your spirit is strengthened. Your convictions are strengthened. Then you become grounded in the Word of God, rooted spiritually. And the third one, you know, we know that John the Baptist did not wear soft garments, right? In the Bible, it says that John the Baptist wore camel's hair and a leather belt, and he ate locusts and honey, wild honey, right? So, soft clothes. For me, I see it this way. I see it this way. As, as John the Baptist was communing with God and, and talking to God and, and just, just spending time with God, the cares of the world left him. The cares of the world left him. He was so focused on Jesus that nothing else mattered. You know the song, um, uh, the last song that we sang, what was that song? The last song that we sang, Only Jesus, for me, for me, only Jesus, for me, for me, only Jesus, the riches of this world could never satisfy. Correct? Correct, correct, right. Sorry, my tune a bit out. But yes, that was John the Baptist's life, for me, only Jesus, the riches of the world, could never satisfy. So, soft clothings, luxurious clothings, that was not for John the Baptist. He could have had it. Why? Because he was from the priestly line. And priests back then, they wear really nice clothes. Very nice, you know? So, he could have had it, but no, he decided no. For me, only Jesus. So, he would have, he was totally focused on God. And it all started in the wilderness. It all started in the wilderness. So let's look into the wilderness. In the Bible, there are two types of wilderness. One, the wilderness of testing. In the wilderness of testing, is a place of testing, of trial, and it's temporary. Okay? Then there's also a place where your faith is tested and it's refined. And people that go into that wilderness, they emerge with power. Second, there is the wilderness of communion where God calls you out into communion with Him. God draws you out into fellowship and relationship with Him. It is a place where you forsake the pleasures of the world. You forsake the pleasures of the world for the pleasure, for the pleasure of God. And it's a place where God saturates you with all of Him because He made you for Himself. The best example to give you about the wilderness of testing and the wilderness of communion is the life of Jesus. Jesus, 
was in the wilderness of testing. In Luke 4.12, it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. So he was in the wilderness and he was tempted. He was tested. And in Luke 4.14, he emerged, coming out from the wilderness. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went through all the surrounding regions. So this was Jesus in the wilderness of testing. But then Jesus also was in the wilderness of communion. Let's see. Luke 5.16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 6, 12, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. This is the wilderness of communion. This is the place where God draws you out. He draws you out. So you see, Jesus himself withdrew into the wilderness. He purposely stepped out into the wilderness and he prayed. He purposely went out to the mountain and he prayed. You know, I had a chance to visit this mountain in Luke 6, 12. It was, it's amazing. It's an amazing mountain. The only thing about this mountain, mountain is it is in the middle of a desert. All right? There's nothing on the mountain. There were some shrubs, a lot of rocks, a lot of sand. Nothing, nothing on the desert. For us to go up, we had to take a bus halfway and then hike up we couldn't hike all the way up. If we hike all the way up, it would take nearly a day. But here, Jesus went out to the mountain. This is the mountain. This mountain, Mount Arbel, okay, in the promised land. Mount Arbel. For us to hike up, it took us two, one hour, two hours, about there, because we were already halfway. But if we did not have the bus, it would take us four, five hours, and we'd be sweaty and crazy, and like, yeah, manchang and everything. So... So yeah, so but back then, imagine that Jesus went up, he did that, and he constantly went up to the mountains to pray. He went out, away from the hustle and bustle of the city, away from the noise of the world, he went out. I like to liken this to, to seeing stars. When you want to see stars clearly, you cannot see them in the city. The city lights will blind the stars. The lights of the city is too bright you see very dim stars. The only way to see stars clearly is to go out of the city, to go into the rural areas. And that's where the stars shine the brightest because there is no interference from the lights of the city. There is no interference from the lights of the surrounding area. Amen? So, in the wilderness lifestyle, there is always two components. Okay, we saw Jesus withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He withdrew. Jesus went out into the mountain and prayed. Withdrew. So you set yourself apart. You have to intentionally take yourself out and put yourself in communion with God. You have to intentionally say, no, I am not going to listen to the news. I am not going to listen to what's happening out there I'm not going to listen to all that bad news, but I am going to focus on the promises of God. You have to intentionally take yourself out from the situation that you are in. I know my finances are dire. I know I cannot make this month's rent. But you know what? The Bible says God will provide. I need to take myself out from that mindset. I need to put myself into that new mindset. God will provide. He is my provider. I need to set myself apart and in that place, I pray. In that place, I commune with God. So there's, this, there's two major characteristics about lifestyle, the wilderness lifestyle. Being set apart and prayer. Set apart and prayer. You might say, but that was Jesus. How about John? John the Baptist. Well, he was in the wilderness. Did he pray? Yes. 
If you see Luke 1, 76, and you, child, this is Zacharias prophesying to, to John, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. You will go before the face of the Lord. To go before the face of the Lord, you have to live before the face of the Lord. And to do that, you, have, must, have, you must be in constant communion with him. You must be in constant communication with him. And John, John was known to be a prayerful man. How do I know this? It is stated in the Bible. Let me show you. In Luke 11, 1. This is Jesus and his disciples. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, this is Jesus' disciples, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Look at that. John's prayer lifestyle was so great, so great that disciples of Jesus knew about his lifestyle. That means what? A lot of people knew about John the Baptist. A lot of people knew that he was in the wilderness. A lot of people knew that he had a prayerful lifestyle. He set himself apart and he had a prayerful lifestyle. Church, are we known for that? Are we known to be a people of prayer? Are we known to be a church of prayer till other people can say, I want to pray like how he prays. I want to pray like how this church prays. You know, I'm going to share with you about a, a little testimony. When I first came back from Singapore, I came out of Singapore about four years ago. I, I, I worked in Singapore for a bit, then I came back and I was deciding on a church. And God led me to SIBKL. I was seeing a few. And in SIBKL, I remember very clearly, we were talking about the seven mountains. And it was about family. Pastor Stanley was preaching. And towards the end of the message, he said one thing. Now, I want all of you to group into family units. He said that. And I want the head of the family to pray over the family because the head has authority. Me being alone, I, I, I sit, la, I, I chill, la, you know. And I saw this family right in front of me on the left side here. I saw them, a father and a son, they came together. So what to do? He's so near, I eavesdrop, no? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but, but I eavesdrop and I heard the father praying. It was a remarkable prayer. I was like, wow, this family, this father has authority over his family. But you know what? Something else blew my mind. After he prayed, this, his son, which was about 12 or 13 years old, turned to the father and said, Dad, can I pray? And I was like, whoa. 12, 13 years old turning and prayed. Wow, that is something. Me, 12, 13 years old, I'd be like, forget it. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to say anything. My father do everything. And he prayed. You know what his prayer was? He prayed that he would submit to the authority of his father. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? At two of years old, I was rebelling. I was fighting against my dad. I was going against my dad. And this boy said, Lord, teach me to submit to the authority of my father. My gosh. So from that, I knew that SIBKL was growing up was growing prayer warriors, was growing the next generation that had the right attitude, that's being set apart, that's living out that life. And through that, I knew that I was going to be in the right church. This is the right church for me because I want this. I want this. So one more thing about John the Baptist and his wilderness lifestyle. He fasted a lot, right? You can see in Matthew 3 verse 4, Matthew 3, verse 4. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. You know, in the wilderness uh, in Israel, there's more than just locusts and honey. Okay? Um, there are a lot of things. There are a lot of deers around in the Engave uh, desert region. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of things, like, a lot of birds, everything. You can hunt, you can eat. Why did John the Baptist just eat locusts and wild honey? Well, it was because he chose to eat just locusts and honey. He was living a fasted lifestyle. And in Matthew, 
11 verse 18, for John came neither eating nor drinking. This is the first part. Neither eating nor drinking. This shows that he had a fasted lifestyle. He had a fasted lifestyle. So in the wilderness lifestyle, there is being set apart. There's prayer and there is fasting. There's communion with God. There's digging into the word of God. You know, one of the ways to know that you are in the wilderness lifestyle is that you have constant communication with God. That the communication barrier is open. You have direct access to God. You speak to Him and He speaks back to you. That's one of the ways to know. Let me share with you a story about uh, my workplace a few years back, about one and a half years back. It was post E16. So two years back, it was post E16 and I was sitting there and I was like, God, that was an amazing, amazing rally. You know, you were moving, but then I come back to work and everything's the same. So I told God, God, I want you to move in my office. Come, come. Then God said, if you want me to move, I need a channel to move. So like, use me, use me, Lord. Give me something. Tell me something. I want to pray for somebody. No, when you're in that wilderness lifestyle, when you're in that lifestyle, God speaks to you. When I say, I want to pray for somebody. No, let me pray for somebody. And at that point in time, I was, we were doing a lot of healing, a lot of street evangelism. We were teaching E16, tapas model. You know, after I say that, my boss walks over. Whoa, my hand pain. Ah. I'm like, wow, seriously. God, you're testing me. Ah. I say, I want to pray for somebody, you, maybe, ayo, but my boss, ah, seriously, my boss, ah, don't get me wrong, it's good, my boss is a Christian, you know, so I'm, I'm happy, but, but still, it's, it's still very weird, you know, imagine, uh, you pray for your boss, then next few months, performance approval, uh, appraisal, hey boss, remember the time I prayed for you, <laughs> very weird, right, but then, you know what, I thought, I, I got up, I was like, serious, huh? Serious, huh? I just went inside his cubicle. I sat down. Hey, can I pray for you? Huh? <laughs> he got shocked, so he just stood there like, like, here and now. Huh? I said, yeah, here and now. Huh? A very simple one. I keep my eyes open. It's like we are talking, but I'm praying for you. And I prayed for him. He had a shoulder pain. He couldn't raise his hand. After I prayed, he could raise his hand already. So imagine that. God was able to speak to me and because of my obedience, God used me. I was in the wilderness of communion with God. Do you know who else God called to be in the wilderness of communion? The Israelites. God called them out of Egypt and in the wilderness, God was covenanting with them. God was saying, I love you. God was saying, draw to me. But because of their disobedience, they went into the wilderness of testing instead. So I thank God that I was able to be in that wilderness of communion and God was able to use me. You know, and I pray that there'll be many, many more times and I know out there all of you want, want to be used by God as well. And this is the way. Be in that wilderness of communion. Commune with God. Set yourself apart. Pray. Fast. Read the Word of God. Dig into the Word of God. Alright? And once you do that, You'll have the following. You'll be rooted spiritually and you'll be so focused on God. And because I was able to focus on God, I was not worried. I was a bit worried and scared when I prayed for my boss that there might be repercussions. That they might say, because I was in a public listed company and, and it was a very uh, majority-centric majority kind of company. So I was afraid that there might be there might be a, a lash back, a backlash, lash back. Thank you, thank you. My wife thank, corrected me. Backlash, you know. But there was none. It came to a point where I even prayed for one of our cousins in my workplace. I was still afraid of a backlash, but I was focused on God. And, I, and God said that He wanted to heal her. So I went and prayed. She was not healed, but you know what happened? She was so touched. On that day, she went around telling everybody, do you know Aaron prayed for me? Do you know he cares? And I was like, oh my gosh, she's going around telling everybody. 
And this is the head of the legal department. I'm like, oh, she's going around telling me that. But she was so touched. Do you know that Aaron prayed for me? Everybody that come into her office, do you know what Aaron just did? He prayed for me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> sweat. <laughs> Thanks, son. So, so that was... So, but you become so focused on God that the things of the world just falls away. All right. So that was the forerunner lifestyle, the wilderness lifestyle, setting yourself apart, setting yourself to pray a prayerful life, a fasting life. Now let's come to the ministry of, of John the Baptist. We said we are going to see why John the Baptist was the greatest of all time, right? One is because of his lifestyle. Second is because of his ministry. Let's see his ministry. Matthew 11, verse 9 to 10. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I say, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Let's look at this. A prophet, my messenger, and prepare your way before you. So a prophet, John the Baptist was a prophet, but more than that, he was more than a prophet. John the Baptist was prepared in the wilderness. Same like two of the old prophets of old, Moses and Elijah. But you know what? Moses and Elijah, God had to orchestrate so that they go into the wilderness and God prepared them. John the Baptist was different. He knew of his destiny. And he did not wait for God to orchestrate that. He went into the desert intentionally. Intentionally. And he diligently prepared himself because he knew of his destiny. He diligently went inside. He set himself apart. He diligently prayed. Some of us pray five minutes, also cannot already. This guy prayed continuously. He fasted his whole life. Imagine that. Imagine that. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It's really, really remarkable. And that's why Jesus said, more than a prophet. God did not just equip him and get him ready. He was ready to be equipped. He was ready. He got himself ready and God equipped him even more. Then we see my messenger God's messenger. To be a messenger, you must have a message. You must have a message. If not, then how to call yourself a messenger? Doesn't make sense, right? Message, messenger, right? Yeah, okay. So you must have a message. What was the message of John the Baptist? The message of John the Baptist is still the same till today. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. So that was the message. And not just that. He had a message on how to respond to the message as well. Repent. Repent and be baptized. That was the message. And you want to know what? The same message, the message is the same yesterday and today. In the world, it is the same right now. Right now, we proclaim to the nations. We proclaim to the world the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. In fact, the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus is coming. Repent. It is the same, same message. It is the kingdom message. It is being, making people aware of the kingdom. And John the Baptist knew this. He knew this in the wilderness. And what he did was just making it known to the public. What he did in the private, he did in the public. So I have a short testimony to share on, on being a messenger. So uh, about a couple of years back, so two years back ago, at the same time, we were doing a, a, lot, of, a lot of street-y kind of testimonies, a lot of healing ministries. Somehow God has placed me in this place, uh, in this position for, for healing and deliverance. So we were doing a lot of street-y, we were going out, then after that, I was also talking in the workplace. I was also praying in the workplace. Uh, it to the point where I was driving and God would say, stop the car, get down. You see that lady trying to cross the road? You don't have to pray for her. Help her cross the road. I'm like, but I go so far. He said, turn around. Like, okay, turn around. So the message 
for me at that point of time was that the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. And the truth in that is that in the kingdom of heaven, there is healing. There is healing. So that was my lifestyle. People that were sick, I went up to them. I said, can I pray for you? People that are not feeling well, they have a bit of headache, let me pray for you. That was the truth of the kingdom of heaven for me. And because of that, you know, there were a lot of testimonies that came out. And I started sharing with a few friends, just, just friends, you know. They, they came from Penang, we visited them, and we share, share, share. End up, these stories went all the way back to Penang. So one of my friends, his father was a pastor in a church in Penang. And from there, I was then invited to go and speak. Me, myself, my wife, and also Adele, we were, we were invited to Penang to share our testimonies, to speak. And all we did was we went there and we shared our testimony. What we did on a day-to-day back then, we shared to them. That was the message, that the kingdom of God is here, and the truth is the healing is in the kingdom of God. And we are doing that. We are living out that lifestyle, and you can have it as well. You can do it as well. And from there, wow, I tell you, things happen. It, we, we, I, we shared uh, on a Saturday, I think. Then on a Sunday, uh, we, we, they suddenly invited us to share in the main service as well. And we're like, wow, serious. Who are we? You know? We shared our testimony. And then towards the end, the altar call, the pastor just handed me the mic. Anything, words of knowledge, go, pray. I'm like, oh, what an honor. What an honor. And it, it wasn't me. It wasn't me at all. It was because of the message. The truth has came to me that the kingdom of heaven is here and healing is in the kingdom of heaven. And the message is still the same. The message is still the same. The third thing over here, prepare your way before you. Prepare the way of the Lord. So, when John the Baptist was saying, when, when Jesus said about this, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus was actually referencing to Malachi. Okay, let me, sorry. Uh, I jump a bit already. Malachi 3 verse 1. Okay, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. In Malachi, the tone of this message, the tone of, of Malachi 3.1 is off. It is as if it is a, um, a person declaring out Somebody declaring out, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. It is likened to a wedding and the best man at a wedding. So let me, let me tell you a bit about Jewish wedding. Okay? In a Jewish wedding, it's a bit like Chinese wedding, a bit only, lah, just that theirs is seven days long. Ours is maybe one, max two days. Okay? But in a Jewish wedding, it's seven days long. The first day, the groom will gather all his friends, all his groomsmen, all his best men. He'll gather the musicians, everybody, and they will go out in a big procession. And they will sing and they will shout all the way to the bride's house. And then there's the best man. You know what does the best man do? The best man prepares the way. He will go before the procession, the forerunner, go before the procession and he will shout, make way for the bridegroom. Make way, prepare the way. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. In Malachi 3.1, this is what he's saying. I will send my messenger. The messenger will go before, before Jesus and he will prepare the way before Jesus. He will prepare the way before Jesus. So, John the Baptist can I have the slides? John the Baptist, he likened himself to the friend of the bridegroom. Here in John 3 verse 29, he says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. Let me tell you, at that point in time, the revelation of the bride 
and bridegroom, the bridal paradigm was not known yet. But because John the Baptist was in constant communion, he knew that at the end, it was a grand wedding. It was a grand wedding. So this was made known to me. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. When you hear the bridegroom's voice, you rejoice. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. What John is saying here is that he is a friend of the bridegroom. Whenever the bridegroom speaks, I am fulfilled. I am happy. I am awakened. I am awakened. And as the best man of a wedding, what was John's task? His task was to prepare the way of the Lord. His task was to shout, here comes the groom. Here comes Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, the ministry of, if, let's go to the, the lifestyle of a forerunner, is the wilderness lifestyle, being set apart, prayer, fasting, and once you have that, you are rooted spiritually, you are strong in the spirit, and then you'll be focused on God. You want to, you're more concerned about going deeper than concerned about the cares of the world. And then the forerunner ministry is being a prophet, more than a prophet, preparing, preparing to be sent out, being God's messenger, carrying a message for the people of, for the time. And the message is the same back then and the same today. And the third one is prepare the way of the Lord, friend of the bridegroom. Now, we've covered lifestyle and ministry already. So now you ask, so what's so important about the lifestyle? What's so important about the ministry? Why did Jesus say he's the greatest of all time? Now let me bring you to Matthew eleven fourteen. Jesus said this, if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He is Elijah who is to come. What Jesus is saying is that John the Baptist was operating in the spirit of Elijah. Okay? I would, in Malachi 4, chapter 4, verse 5 to 6, this is after Malachi 3, the one we, we mentioned, uh, the one that Jesus referenced to. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So number one, he is Elijah. He was operating in the spirit of Elijah. Number two, you see Malachi 4 verse 5 and you see before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The phrase day of the Lord is always used in the end times. It's always used in the second coming. What does this mean? You have, he is Elijah. I will send you Elijah. What does this mean? It means the re-emergence of the forerunner ministry in the second coming. God is going to prepare forerunners. He's going to prepare a generation of forerunners that will prepare the way for His second coming. They will, they're going to go forth and they're going to carry a message. And it's the same message. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is coming. He's going to prepare the generation to respond to that message. Repent and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know who is that forerunner today? It's us. It is the church. The church is that foreigner. That mandate has now come upon us to go, to prepare ourselves, to earnestly set ourselves apart, to earnestly pray and fast, to commune with God, to receive that revelation, the truth for yourself, and then going out and sharing that same message that you have received. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. And more than that, the church is now called to be the friend of the bridegroom that will shout, He is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So why now is John the Baptist's life so important? Because John the Baptist's life was a prototype of what is to come. He is the forerunner of the forerunners, us. 
John the Baptist is the prototype. And this is why Jesus said, this is the greatest man of all time. He wanted us to focus on John the Baptist, study his life, study his lifestyle, study his ministry, and be that. Be the forerunner that will declare the coming of the Lord again. Because you know why? In the end times, when Jesus returns, two things will happen. One, there will be unprecedented revival. Revival that no one has ever seen before. I talked to you about a Welsh revival, 100,000 people in a matter of months. Well, it's going to be greater than that. The billion soul harvest. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And the second thing is judgment. When Jesus returns, judgment will come. And this, the revival and the judgment, talks about two things. One thing, the revival is the love of God for His people. The judgment is God's wisdom. But will the people understand if they are in it? Will the people understand when it's already happening? I tell you, they won't understand. Do you know what happened in revivals? In revivals, like in the book of Acts, when a liar lies, you know what happens? He's struck dead because the glory of God is so strong that no sin can be there. If that were to happen in the church today, will people accept? Will you accept? Some of us might not be able to accept it. Like, why did God do this? I, I don't understand. Our God is supposed to be a kind God. How can He do that? When judgment happens, you know, when judgment happens, when nations are being judged, people will start to ask, why is God so cruel? That is why the forerunner ministry is so important. God is raising up men and women to go forth in the time of pre-revival, pre-judgment, to share, to send that message out that revival is coming, judgment is coming, the kingdom of God is coming. We need to prepare, repent, repent. And when you do that, when you repent and you go before God, you read your Bible, you see, you see, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. This is coming. This is coming. So people, when you hear the message, they see, when they read, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. All right. I understand now. I understand that this is coming. So instead of going against God and saying, God, I can't believe you did this. Now people's hearts will be turned and they will say, God, now I understand why you're doing this. And you know what, God? I am going to partner with you in this. I'm going to partner with you in this. I'm going to close soon. Can I get the music, musicians up? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 11 that no one obeyed God more than John. There was no man greater than John, not one. Okay? No man obeyed God more consistently than John did and no man prepared more diligently than John. Why is it important? Why, why, why did why did Jesus say that and why is it important? It's important because now we can trust in John the Baptist's wisdom. We can trust in his lifestyle because Jesus has endorsed him. Now we can trust in his lifestyle. We can trust in his ministry. We can trust in his wisdom. Okay? Why I say this is because if you continue to read on in Matthew 11, Matthew 11, verse 18, it says, For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. He has a demon. These are the people around us. People will not understand why we are doing what we are doing. People will say, why, why are you going and spend so many hours in church? There's no meaning to it. Why are you spending so much money in Sabah and Sarawak? You know, it's a lost cause. Why are you doing that? Why are you spending big monies in major rallies? You know, so much money wasted. People don't understand. But at the end of the day, in Matthew 11, verse 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine beaver a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They also said the same thing about Jesus. In the last part, it says, but wisdom 
is justified by her children. Church, we will be vindicated. It is not an easy lifestyle. It is not an easy lifestyle. It is not an easy ministry. But the end of the day, we will be vindicated. God was saying, this is my son who I'm well and pleased with. In the end of the day, God will vindicate us. And you know what, church? I want to share with you. Do you know that SIBKL is a forerunner church? If you see the lifestyle of SIBKL as a whole, you see, our heartbeat, the heartbeat of our church is actually prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. And we diligently set ourselves apart to pray and to fast. I've never been to a church that it is that's so serious about prayer and fasting. We encourage people, we, we preach about it, to have a personal altar with God at home. And once you do that, come for prayer altars, come for the corporate prayer altars. And you know what? In SIBKL, we have prayer altars nearly every single day. Imagine that. What more of a prayer lifestyle can you see in the church? SIBKL has that nearly every other day. And you know what? We don't just have normal prayer altars. We have midnight altars. We have prayer towers that we go through off hours. We have 24 hours. And not just that. You know, you know, we have personal altar, right? We encourage. We have corporate altar, the one I mentioned, and we have national altars. SIBKL anchors national altars. A majority of it, if I'm not mistaken. A majority of it at Peace Haven. We have that lifestyle. And you know what? We also have the fasted lifestyle. SIBKL is always very serious when it comes to the fast. Our 40-day fast and pray is coming. It's on the 6th of August. I want to implore all of you, let's be serious. Let's be serious about the fast. And every time we fast, it always coincides. It's the fast, and then we have a major rally happening. And that's that we are so serious in the fast. And from the fast, we see the results in the rally. You know, we have Sabah and Sarawak coming up very, very soon. And I want to implore all of you, let's be serious. Let's pray. Let's seek God. Let's commune with God. Let us hear what God is saying about Sabah, about Sarawak, about Peninsula Malaysia, about Malaysia. And let us pray it into being. Let's be that messenger. If we do not go out, let us at least pray into the atmosphere. Let's be a messenger into the atmosphere. Let us do that. And you know, for 25 years, SIBKL's ministry has been consistent with a forerunner. SIBKL has been a messenger to the nations. It has been a messenger to Malaysia, especially Sabah and Sarawak, East Malaysia. We've been sending people out. We've been sending teams out, prayer altar teams, missionaries. We've been sending them out. And all of them declare the same thing. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. And SIBKL is a friend of the bridegroom. Every day, every Sunday, every prayer altar, every time we meet, we are declaring, Jesus is coming. Make way. Prepare your hearts. Jesus is coming. So you know, church, all of you, every single one of you, you are very privileged to be in a church that is called to be the forerunner for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is a privileged position. You are a messenger of God. You prepare the way. You go before Jesus. It is a privileged, privileged position. And I want to implore you, we have to be serious about this position. We cannot take it lightly. We cannot take it lightly. Seriously. So today, as I close my message, I want to make a call. If all eyes close and all heads bow, I want to make a call today. For those of you who have heard this message, 
And you resonate with this message. This message burns right now. And you feel that, yes, this is my call to be a forerunner. This is my call to be a forerunner, to go out and to proclaim the message that the kingdom of God is here, that Jesus is coming to prepare the way of the Lord to say, Jesus is coming. The bridegroom is coming. If this is you in this place, I would like to pray for you. So I'd like to invite you to raise your hands if this is you in this place. Take your time right now. Raise your hands if this is you. If you want to be a forerunner, if the call is for you to be a forerunner, Thank you, thank you for the hands. We'll you'll just wait a while more. We'll just wait a while more. Thank you very much. For those of you who have raised their hands, can I invite you to stand? Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the response from the message, Lord, the call to be a forerunner. Lord, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you will prepare the lives that you see right now, Lord. You prepare them right now, Lord. Lord, you set them apart. You bring them into the wilderness of communion, Lord. And Lord, in there, you begin to speak to them. You begin to commune with them, Lord. You begin to talk to them, Lord. And Lord Jesus, you begin to build that relationship, that intimate, loving relationship that you have, Lord, with them. You begin to build it, Lord. And Lord, we know, Lord, from this relationship, Lord, it will propel them, Lord. It will propel them out, Lord, to then give the message that the kingdom of heaven is here. So we thank you, Lord, right now. You start, you begin your preparation work right this very moment, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we ask, Lord, like John the Baptist, Lord, that you begin a work of preparation and a work of equipping in us. That we may be bold, that we may go out and preach your word, share your truth, your truth, that we may be unwavering, a reed not shaken by the wind. Lord Jesus, that we may be focused fully on you, that the things of the world will just pass us by. So we thank you, Lord, for the hands lifted high. We thank you, Lord, for the lives standing before you. We commit them into your hands. You raise them up, Lord, to be forerunners for you. In Jesus' most mighty name we pray. Amen. Right now, I have a second call. You may be seated. And this second call is for those who feel that they're not serious enough with God. That you feel that you, you need to set yourself more apart from the world. You need to focus more on God. You have not been diligent in your quiet time. You know, you've not been diligent in, in reading the Word, in communing with God. The next call is for you. God wants to change that. Instead of you pursuing God and always trying, always trying, God wants to lure you. He's calling, Child, come away with me. Come with me. Come with me. God wants to court you. And in that courtship, you begin to find the love of God, the love for His Word, the love to commune with Him. If this is you right now, you find yourself very difficult to pray, very difficult to fast, very difficult to read the Word of God, I want to pray for you. If this is you, can I see your hands? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord, you see these hands. You see these hands and you know, Lord. You know the struggles that they go through. You know they try. 
Lord Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you will begin that courtship with them, Lord, that you will begin to lure them into the wilderness of communion, that you will begin to just ignite that love for you, that this love will grow and it will grow and it will spread and that the word of, the love for the word of God will become so evident, the love for the things of God will become so evident. We know, Lord, that it will take time, but Lord, begin that work right now, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Jesus, most mighty name we pray. Amen.